Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry, your source for commercial real estate news and development. Today, we have an extra special guest on the podcast from the Carmel Redevelopment Commission. Henry? What's up, everyone? Welcome. Welcome. Introduce yourself to our audience. We're excited. Extra special. I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Am I more special than the other ones? I don't know, but this means a lot. Hey, everyone. I'm Henry Mostetsky. I'm the redevelopment director for the city of Carmel, and I'm here to talk about whatever the hosts want. Oh, that's right. That's exactly right. When we got, and Henry, you're so modest. You have an amazing background. Thank you. We were just talking about this before we started recording. Just give us a little bit of summary because you started off not in economic development, right? And, and, and at all. I mean, tell us a little bit how you fell into this world. Sure. So I went to undergrad IPUI, Kelly School of Business, accounting and finance. I was always in love with real estate and cities. I'm originally from Kiev, Ukraine. So I grew up on a ninth floor of a one of those Soviet block house, yeah. uh, block housing kind of buildings. And I was always into walkability and urbanism. And so we moved to America and I got into accounting, finance, uh, intern at Duke Realty. And then at a certain point, the world fell apart. (laughs) I went to law school and then I came out of law school really focused on bankruptcy, real estate, economic development. Mayor Brainerd at one point in 2015 appointed me as a commissioner, as a volunteer commissioner to the Comrade Redevelopment Commission. And then a few years later, my predecessor stepped down. The mayor appointed me to run the redevelopment department. I've been there for almost five years. It's My job is really a combination of law, urban planning, architecture, finance, construction at times, and, and a little bit of politics. <laughs> That's a great mix. And I love that background. For our listeners, so we have a good contingent of Indianapolis listeners, but 40% of our listeners are not from Indianapolis as of right now. I pulled mm-hmm. the stats on Friday. So tell us a little bit more. We know based here in Indianapolis what Carmel is, right? And what an amazing story it's been. But give us the quick overview about Carmel, what you've seen happen, right? You know, you told us a great story about how before you even worked for Carmel, you're reaching out to Mayor Brainer and saying, hey, I just want to meet you and pick your brain a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the why and, and what's so special about Carmel and the growth that you guys have seen really almost over the past 30 years. Sure. So after World War One, Carmel had about 1,000 people there. The mayor got elected in 96. There was some progress made to set the city apart before he got elected. Most notably, Carmel said no to a bunch of signs around Keystone that it continues to be tree-lined. But really, it was just like a, for anyone from not outside of central Indiana, Carmel was just your, your average suburb of Indianapolis. You know, you'll always have a major city that has a couple wealthy suburbs. So I'd say before that, Carmel was fairly normal in that regard. It was really Mayor Brainerd who, when he got elected in 96, you know, he traveled to Europe a lot. He saw how they did things. What he learned is really lessons from thousands of years of city building, walkable cities, not too dense, but not too spread out, people living and working all in the same place. You know, in Europe, we've built great cities for a thousand years. And in in America, we've really gotten away from that. Mm -hmm. Suburbs today is 
You drive. You first you need a car to participate in life. 100%. You drive from your neighborhood, which is just neighborhoods, which is just houses. You drive to your big office building, which is just uh, just office. And then if you want to go for lunch, you got to get back in the car and drive somewhere else. And then you drive to your retail and you park in these giant parking lots, right. these Black Friday parking lots that are only filled three days around Thanksgiving, three days around Christmas. Also, for all of our retail broker listeners, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a use for yeah. that. that. People got to make their money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But so the mayor kind of, you know, he focused on something totally different. He wanted to make it walkable. He wanted to create an urban core in the city that now has 100,000 people living there. So I'd say that today, if you look at Carmel, it's got 100,000 people and it is not like a typical suburb. He kind of did two things to really revolutionize it. He focused on a totally different street and infrastructure network. Carmel is famous for having the most roundabouts out of any city in the United <laughs> States. I think we're up to 150 or something, uh, including having 2009's most beautiful roundabout in the world. <laughs> Look at that. Or something. Don't quote me exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if, if you get tired of stopping at stop signs, you go to Carmel right. and yeah. you can just drive anywhere without stopping. It's pretty great. And obviously he really focused on building a walkable downtown core. And I'd say in the last in the last 15 years, there's been just a trend of urbanization. I mean, we see it in Indianapolis. <laughs> Fountain Square, Broad Ripple. Right. They didn't used to have apartment complexes, these four over one apartment complexes, and now they do. So this kind of urbanization is really happening anywhere. But the mayor laid a foundation for this in the city of Carmel 20 years ago, and it's really, really taking shape today. Wow. It is amazing. I know we were talking before the the recording. Paige, obviously, our own Paige O'Neill lives in Carmel, not far from you, Henry, which is a testament to how it's attracting. And the, the thing that blows me away is the density and the infrastructure. It's, it's almost like there was a vision and it's been executed over the last almost 30 years, right? But one thing is is how, right? And so that leads us into our first topic today, right? Which is tax increment financing or TIF. And we have an expert on to help us break it down and really kind of dig a little bit deeper into what TIF is and how it played into the Carmel story. Okay. So don't turn off the podcast right now. No, don't worry. <laughs> this is for everyone that please do not, no eyes are going to glaze over. I promise this is yeah. going to be engaging because it's, it, it's, it's something that gets thrown around a lot, right? And a lot of communities are using it, et cetera, and trying to use it. But it's not fully understood, I think, within the commercial real estate community. It's understood by some developers really well, obviously people like you, Henry, but for a lot of practitioners, brokers, architects, construction people, it's not fully understood how it can be used and how it's structured and how it can lead to really great outcomes. So maybe we start off, Henry, what is TIF? Okay. All right. Let's, let's get to <laughs> the basics, quiz. right? Yeah. And then we, right. we'll, we'll dig deeper and deeper. So TIF is really one of the two economic development tools that exists in the state of Indiana. It stands for tax increment finance. What it, what it allows is when a new project is, is potential, uh, potent, could potentially happen, TIF allows you to capture 25 years of the future taxes from that project and use that money to incentivize the project on day one to make the project happen in the first place. An easy example is if you've driven up US 31, you have the car headquarters that you can see off mm-hmm. of US 31. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful building. And it's got a garage there. So it sits on this piece of land. And obviously car, the, the, it's a like corporate headquarters. They basically run car auctions across the globe. Cars found a piece of land. And we were able to use their future 25 years of taxes to help them finance a garage. By the way, city's not on the hook for this. The city doesn't have to pay if the taxes don't come in, like if the building burns down. But car is on the hook for this. But we're able to use their own future taxes to build them the garage, which is the reason car decided to locate in that location in the first place. 
if they didn't have the benefit of their own future taxes to build a garage, they wouldn't have fit on that piece of land. Right. They mm-hmm. would have needed 10 acres of ugly surface parking. That wasn't the land that was available. Car might not have ever located in that location if they weren't incentivized with their own future taxes. So that's that's kind of a, a easy, a simple example. And what is TIF generally used for? You know, it's used for roads, utilities. In Carmel, we use it for parking garages. And TIF is a tool that you have across the state. Right. And I recognize that not every community is able to do with TIF what Carmel is lucky to have. I mean, you can imagine that if you are kind of in the middle of nowhere and maybe you are a town that has a, a highway exit, well, you might use TIF to just build some roads and run some utilities to a place and maybe create an industrial park or maybe create some sort of commercial activity. But you're probably not pulling a world headquarters of a multinational right. company. So Carmel's really lucky that it is able to use TIF to really deliver to its citizens these kind of companies. So one of the things that the mayor started doing is kind of fighting back against the notion that suburbs, you need a car to survive and right. to participate. And when he was first elected, there really was no walkable downtown. And by the way, when I said, when I say, hey, in Europe, they know how to build cities. It's not just Europe. Right. It's, it's downtown Indianapolis. Right. It's places like Charleston. It's places like the French Quarter in New Orleans. It's our east and west coast. We've right. been building these walkable cities until everybody got a car. And, and <laughs> engineers decided that the safest road you could build is the one that makes no room for pedestrians to keep the pedestrians as far away from roads as possible. And that's when you need a, a car to participate in daily life. Right. And so to sum it up, right, and make sure I got this right, is you know, you're taking essentially future tax revenue. That's right. Pulling property it forward. Taxes. That's right? right. Property taxes. Pulling it forward. Using it for certain goals today, right? That's right. And like you said, incentivizing a company like Car, but also it allows, at least in the application that Carmel's using it, for densification. That's right. right. That's where I was kind of going with that. So if if you want to build a walkable core, then instead of using TIF for something like roads, you use it for garages. Yep. In Carmel, we make our garages 75% open to the public. Right. So if you think about city center or Main Street or our midtown areas or even going a little south, there's Presidium, there's a new project right. at 116th and Range Line. If we use TIF to change the urban landscape, because if, if TIF wasn't around, here's what developers would build in the suburbs. Right. Strip centers with giant parking lots. Yep. And garden style apartment complexes. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, no fault to the developers. Like, make your money. It's easy to do. Indiana's flat. Indiana's got a bunch of land. You can always go north and build another apartment complex. Right. Like that's, that's just what you do. Or if you're uh, you know, if you build neighborhoods, you, some guy owns a farm, you go yep. and you buy that farm, you separate into a bunch of different plats and then you build production homes and that, that's how people make their money. So if the city wants to incentivize something different, it really is a, it requires public private partnerships, mm-hmm. which is what TIF does. So if you think about Midtown, to anyone that hasn't been, come yeah, check out Midtown please. Plaza. Yeah. It's really cool. No, it's amazing. It's awesome. So we, we use the future taxes from the projects around Midtown Plaza to finance the garages that are, I mean, there's like six of them and yeah. within a five You can't walk. miss them. So now you have something cool, like something vibrant, not a bunch of ugly giant parking lots. Uh, we use a, an urban planner named Jeff Speck. He's world renowned. He's got this theory. The theory is all things being equal, a person's going to walk instead of drive if the walk is uh, safe, comfortable, convenient, and interesting. So an example I like to give sometimes is 
Have you ever gone to like a shopping center in like a normal strip center and you're going to a store, you go to your store and then you got to go to the store on the other end of the shopping center. Right. So you get into your car and then drive. And you drive to the other end <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you park right. in front of that other store. Unless it's, it's winter. It's like 80 yards, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, right. You just, you get back in your car because why would you walk? Walk back because you have to walk and then you have to walk back. Yeah. Or if you travel to like Europe or Charleston, yeah. you walk outside in the morning You'll come back at night. You've just walked for ten miles. You you haven't even you don't even think about it. Right. You just walk around. You're gazing at the buildings, at the architecture, and you're just enjoying it. So, can we use tax increment finance to build something like that here in Carmel? Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. The other thing I think about, just thinking forward, the you know the benefit of density, right? Because there are some communities out there that don't want density, and they want you know they want the sprawl that we're kind of alluding to. Isn't that the sprawl inefficient from a tax standpoint? I mean, when you talk about property taxes per square foot in a city, right, with how many hundreds of millions of square feet, you think about sprawl and you go, that giant parking lot. Now there's a strip center that has value, but then if you think about the total parcel that it sits on, it's probably not as efficient as what you guys have built in Midtown from a long-term property tax standpoint, correct? That's totally right. I'd I'd say there's two two big reasons to build with I'll call it low urban density. Like right. we're not we're not doing Hong Kong here. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. These aren't Singapore, skyscrapers, yeah. right. The first is, you know, t- 20 years ago you gave out tax breaks to companies to lower companies. And that's still kind of how it works with some manufacturing, but that's really not how it works for the corporate headquarter jobs. You got to lure them with something vibrant, a place where their employees will actually want to move to. So how many places even in D- in Indiana can a employee decide to walk downstairs and go walk to lunch? Right. You can downtown Indy, Fountain Square maybe, Broad Ripple, downtown Carmel, downtown Fishers, downtown Evansville, downtown Fort Wayne. I mean, it- Not yet, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But you, have, you need- right. But it's the workforce there is right. not We're quite, assuming there's an yeah. employment base right. there. Yeah, that's the so, key. I mean, even if we get to 10, like that's not, that's not great for the state of Indiana. <laughs> Right. Like we got to we got to build on that to lure the best workers back to the state. So that's kind of one reason to build in this mixed use environment, which, again, is only possible through the use of tax increment financing, these public private partnerships. But, Andrew, the point you were alluding to is, is kind of the second point. I mean, essentially in Carmel, our tax rate is two dollars a square foot. Don't turn off the podcast yet. This is, <laughs> this is the most math we're going to do. But two dollars a square foot. And so if you envision like a 10,000 square foot building on a 40,000 square foot lot, just this is your AT&T store. This is your right. Starbucks. This is your Taco Bell in your standard outlot. From a property tax standpoint, that thing's paying 20 grand a year in property taxes to the city. If I take that same 40,000 square foot lot and I put a five-story building on it, it's going to pay 20 times the taxes. Right. It's going to pay $400,000 to the city, not 20, 400,000. Right. The mayor gives this example a lot. And so the only thing that's missing from that five-story building is you got to figure out how to park the cars. So you can put them in an adjacent parking garage that you use the TIF from this new building for, and suddenly you've altered your your entire urban plan of the city. Now, the other thing to think about is the TIF areas, when you create these public-private partnerships, they last for 25 years, which sounds like a long time in our lifetimes, but it's not a long time for- the, commercial real estate. Right. In a city, in, a, in, a, in the arc of a city, in the arc of a history of a city, it's not a long time. So then what happens after 25 years is those taxes- are no longer paying off the the TIF incentive. They just go to the tax rolls. So then all of a sudden you see this huge jump, right? So say you did 10 TIF deals mm-hmm. 25, 24 years ago, right? The next year that's paid off. All of a sudden there's this huge jump in revenue, right? That's right. So all that's of our free, residential taxes fall. Exactly. So I, I give this example a lot. So if you're familiar with like uh, the Meyer and Carmel, mm-hmm. yeah, it's assessed at around 
$500,000 an acre. So we're getting taxed on something that's $500,000 an acre. It's a bunch of acreage. You got to provide police and fire protection to that area. It's not sexy. It's not sexy to walk around a parking lot. Half a million dollars an acre. If you think about Sophia Square in downtown Indiana or downtown Carmel, and if you don't necessarily know which one that is, it's the it's the French looking building on Main Street. It's got the plaza yeah. with the fountain in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. It's got Monterey. It's pretty good. Get mm-hmm. your sushi there. There you go. Although we like all of our restaurants in Carmel. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> no favorites. Right. So Sophia Square, twenty five million dollars an acre of assessed value. Wow. Dang. And how do That's you how difference. do you provide police coverage? You ride buying a bike. Yeah. Because frankly, there's four sides to that building and there's eyes on the street on all four sides of that building, which is, you know, what they say. That's how you truly provide police protection is because there's people that are active there. So the other example is, you know, what happens to those big box stores 30 years down the road? Yeah. Uh, A Walmart turns into a big lots, turns (laughs) into a... Uh, flea market. What happens to a vibrant apartment complex with first floor retail like Sophia Square in the downtown of Carmel in 30 years? I think it's still very much. Hopefully lower rents. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, there's some new stuff that knocks it down a peg. It's just as vibrant. Yeah. Right. Well, the key is to keep on building that success and continue building a larger urban area. One of the things that you see sometimes cities try to do is they build this kind of four over one apartment complex yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's got the first floor retail, but there's nothing there. You still got to drive to it. Right. And there's still giant streets surrounding it. Carmel's been lucky because we, we took our Monon railroad, we converted it to a trail. So now you have this uh, entire artwork. line of urban form that we've used TIF to build up. So now you have somewhere to walk to. People living in one place can walk to where they work along the Monon, and it's all safe, comfortable, convenient, interesting. Got a bunch of art everywhere. Mary really did a good job of laying this foundation. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's remarkable. You know, Henry, to your comment, I mean, is it something that other cities could easily replicate? Because I know we know TIFF's being used a lot, right? It's one of the key tools in the state of Indiana, but I don't see many places using it in this way or as, as with as much foresight, right? It's more reactionary sometimes. And I'm not criticizing other communities, but Carmel is really remarkable because I feel like in general, there was a vision set long, long ago and it's been kind of executed on, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure in other communities are like Carmel and you're right. It, it's, it's the vision and it's not being afraid to have the tough conversations. Yeah. Like, and want to say no to things. Sophia, too, Sophia right? Square was possible. This, this tax paying behemoth was possible because the city bought the land and put the land in. The city used the TIF to to work with the developer for the underground garage. Uh, oftentimes, I you know when we have excess TIF, we use that money for land acquisition to incentivize the next deals because we know that instead of strip centers, we're getting these large buildings that, by the way, get a lot of people that live there, which is income taxes that also goes to your local uh, municipalities, and you create this 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 vibrant place where people want to visit and be. Uh, so it does. It does take that kind of that kind of vision, and it takes political will. Right, and that's not just the mayor; it's city councils, the councilors that have also voted for these things. One of my pet peeves is, you know, you'll you'll be at a city council meeting, and there's ten people there in the audience, and nine of them don't like anything that's happening. <laughs> the ten vocal, <laughs> and minority, the loudest, right? yeah, right. the loudest people, and and so you know, it it takes the experience and it takes the will of city councilors to say. Okay, just because nine people just spoke up against something doesn't mean 90% of people are against it. 
there's 100,000 people that live in the city. Most people that love what the city is doing have no idea that there's a city council meeting going on. Right. They're like in Midtown playing with their kids. Right. Yeah. And I think it takes some bravery on the part of politicians to acknowledge that and take those tough votes. What other kind of rumors or misnomers about TIFF that do you hear floating out there? Right. And how can we dis- dispel some of these today? Because a lot of people look at this as, oh, these are handouts to developers and big corporations. And, you know, this should go into something, right? That vocal minority sure. that you were mentioning. Sure. What are, what are some ways we can dispel that? Because I know that's not the case. Yeah, there's a few. The first is, well, this, this, this will happen anyways. Like Carmel's an affluent community. It's right. got safe schools. It's got good schools. It's got, you know, a great police and fire force. This would happen anyways. And that's just not true. It's not enough just to be a nice place to live. These projects wouldn't happen. They would just be ugly strip centers if there weren't public-private partnerships that really used the future taxes to build up a a vibrant, walkable core. Another thing you hear is, again, this would happen anyways, and the answer is state law said there's a a test for state law that's that's called the but-for test. But for the TIF incentive, would this happen? And so... None of it would happen. That car headquarters would not happen if right. the TIF wasn't used for the garage. Right. Um, well, and, and also your garages are 75% open to the public. So right. it's a public good in a lot of ways. That's right. Right? You're not having these private garages where people are charging enormous amounts of money like in other cities. And they're not open to everybody. And right? They're, or they're for tenants only, period. And so even if you had it private, doesn't mean it looks like the vision at the end of the day, right? That's right. The The biggest misconception is probably about TIF and schools. Mm. If someone just understands just a little bit about TIF, or, but not enough, they'll say, look, if you build an apartment complex and it is there's TIF, that money then is not going to the schools, so now you've taken money away from the schools. I mean, that's, that's the argument <laughs> people make. Right. So there's a bunch of counters to that. First, it's not like you're taking money away from the schools because the project wouldn't happen if if the TIF wasn't used for the garage, for example. So there would be no money going to any other taxing units in the first place. That's one. Two, really a majority of the money for the schools comes from sales tax now from the state. In Carmel, actually, the schools are, the enrollment is falling. So they get, you know, thousands of dollars per student from the state. So our schools want new TIF projects. They want more residents so they can have more kids mm-hmm. right. so they can get new, more money. It's a simple from the formula state. for them, right? And more kids, more, right. more, right. A lot of municipalities that you see also have school referendums. Mm-hmm. These right. are additional taxes that the citizens vote on. And, and then this, this is essentially is a new tax rate that applies to all assessed value in the city. So if I take a parcel and I raise its assessed value from $30,000 a, an acre to $20 million an acre. All the schools benefit from now the new taxes off this giant project. If the value of a project goes from you know $4 million to $50 million, the schools get a whole bunch of, the schools get a whole bunch of new money just from the increase in assessed value. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know the final thing is that like oftentimes the TIF from a single apartment project is not going to be enough to fund a garage. So what you see in the city of Carmel is a combination of offices and apartments together. And so you have the future taxes from both that fund a single garage, and then the office workers are there parking there during the day, and then the apartment dwellers are there parking there in the evening. Right. So you're perfectly flexing these parking spaces. We're just getting more great jobs to the city. We're just creating a more vibrant, walkable area for the city. 
this is a rising tide lifts all boats kind of conversation. So schools all benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And I feel like that's that gets lost a lot when you read articles, et cetera, about how all those factors factor in, right? Because it's, it's become more politicized, I've seen. Definitely. There's in the a, last there's a four or five years. There's a state legislature right now where they are attempting to take a lot of a lot of power away from redevelopment commissions and to do a lot of harm to TIF. It's called a HB 1085, I believe. HB 1085. So people call your local <laughs> Here's our <plug>. representatives, right? <laughs> your yeah, state yeah. rep. Call your local reps. Look up your district. It's called uh, HB yeah, 1085. It's terrible. Yeah. Call your local representatives. Tell them to vote against it. That's interesting. There's, Why do you think there, there, there is two, that resistance I'll coming? I'll just say this. There's, there are two economic development tools that exist in the state. Right. Tax abatements mm-hmm. and TIF. And tax abatements are just so much easier to do. You, I used to do this at the law firm when I was. You, you hand a piece of paper to city council, they, they sign off on it, and it's done. And the tax abatement says you don't pay taxes for 10 years right. or a certain proportion of taxes for 10 years. The company gets the same benefit. They're not paying taxes. City misses out on taxes, but it's tough sometimes for you know politicians when there's jobs or there's new facilities potentially. It's tough to say no to that. But with TIF, the taxes get paid. You just use the taxes to benefit both the company and the city. It's just a lot tougher. You need municipal advisors. You need attorneys. You need people that understand law and finance to handle these things. Carmel's blessed with a really good group of people that do something like that. Well, and I, and I think in some cases, right, it might be better for retention, right? And I, I guess I'll use the industrial example, you know, in Indianapolis area, central Indiana, you know, we've seen a lot of tax abatement used in uh, speculative industrial construction, right? And what occurs is, you know, at least I've seen it because we have an industrial team on our team. I, I'm more of an office guy, but in general, we talk a lot. And in general, you'll see the tax abatement structures kind of tighten up over time in certain key submarkets. And then the area just on the fringe of that starts doing the abatement and market rates go up, but then there's these abate. And then people kind of move from abated building to abated building to abated building. You know, if you're a tenant every 10 years, seven years, what have you. And so that, that community in the short term gets those jobs and, and the politicians get to say, yay, That's you know, right. we created jobs. We're so awesome. You know, pat us on the back, but it doesn't create a sustainable environment necessarily as a way to attract. Now, obviously an industrial tenant is a lot different than a headquarters with human human capital, high knowledge workers, right, et cetera. But by using that TIF, like you said, you're able to create a better community, better environment. So your long-term retention is probably much higher in some cases than just using a pure abatement, like you said, which is easy paperwork for everybody. And Mayor Brainerd and our Carmel City Council doesn't, we usually don't do abatements. Right. And sometimes we lose out on those businesses. But this, this is a team effort. Mm-hmm. We're going to use your taxes to create a better city where you can pull better employees. Now, it's it's not to, you know, fault the, you asked this question earlier, like, wh- why isn't everyone doing what Carmel is doing? Right. And, and the answer is, it's just, it's not easy. You know, back to, back to my example of a place kind of in the middle of nowhere with a highway exit. They may use TIF to run some roads and run some utilities and create an office park, or I'm sorry, an industrial park. Say it's got five, we're going to do a real dumb example here. Yeah. Say it's got five, five building pads that they've just created. Right. Say they just lured to two of those pads. They've now lured warehouses there. Then the economy slows down. So then the school district comes and says, well, there's at least some retail here and it's a, a better place to put employees. So sell us one of your pads for a million dollars and we'll locate the school district main right. office here. Okay. Or 
a local church comes and they go, hey, we need to build a new campus. This is right off the highway. Perfect. We'll pay you a million dollars for this pad. So as a city, as a municipality, at least you're going to get money for your investment because you've just created and increased the value of this land, so now you're going to get paid. Well, the school district, main office, and the church don't pay taxes. So your TIF project just failed. Right. But from like a benefit to the city, you know, it, that's, a, that's a tough call to say right. no to some of those jobs, even though they're not paying taxes. So I'm not going to fault any other city for doing right. everything they can with these economic development tools. It's just Carmel has stuck to its guns for 20 years. And Mayor Brainerd has been comfortable with maybe a piece of land doesn't develop until it's time to develop it right. And we're just now kind of hitting this kind of sweet spot where everybody can see the greatness that's been building. Yeah. yeah. And that patience, right? And that fortitude, because it's really hard when you have constituents yelling at you and you have an election cycle coming, right? I mean, it's just human nature. You want to be self-preserving to some extent, right? You made this big promise and you're like, oh, it's going to deliver, right? It's tough. Well, it's not easy. Politicians, you know, they, it's tough to think in 10 and 20 year cycles. Right. Yes. Because- Cycles are four years and really three years, and then you have to run for election. So it really then goes back to kind of the the bravery of the city council members and the mayor that we've had here to kind of focus on the long-term vision and be okay with it taking a little bit of time. Yeah. Another thing, you know, and kind of shifting the conversation a little bit, this whole suburban versus urban debate, we'll call it, right? And for any of our listeners that have watched Parks and Rec you know, have you watched it, Henry? Parks oh, yeah. and Recreation, right? I think, I think Pawnee and Eagleton, yes. right? The, 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 the rich guys over at Eagleton and yeah. this little Pawnee, right? <laughs> there's there's that dynamic sometimes going on because, you know, in general, what we're seeing is this, at least from a corporate HQ and office standpoint, which is the world I live in, you know, across the across the globe, is we're seeing a strong push towards amenitized suburbs like Carmel across the country, right? Because it's close to where people live. To get people back to the office, guess what? A 45-minute, hour-long commute in some cities, that's not going to do it. That's not convenient. They want to be nearby their house. And so there's been this friction going on between – and another example of this is kind of with the Chicago Bears and Soldier Field potentially moving to the suburbs in Arlington Heights. And what does that mean for downtown Chicago as it gets worse and worse and all this narrative around it? There's also that narrative going on in Indianapolis a little bit. It's been around forever, right? Suburbs versus this and commuter taxes. But in reality, Henry, right, it's not a zero-sum game, right? It's not. You know, People, again, 20 years ago, people used to find a job and then go and live wherever that job is. Right. And today, people want to pick a place to live and then they go and find a job there. So if someone wants to go hiking – They'll move to Denver yeah, and they'll find a job there. Or if they like whatever music and uh, I guess constant parades of bridezilla parties, <laughs> they'll move to Nashville. We all knew which yeah. one yeah. that yeah. one was. So, Nash Vegas, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so we are competing as a region. And, you know, I, I hear people all the time whenever a company moves from, from Indy to Carmel, which happens, you know, isn't that a major win for Carmel? Uh, the the win is that a company stays in the region or there's the you know the computer the commuter tax conversation all the time or are suburbs leeching off the urban city or aren't people off living in the suburbs instead of downtown where you know by the way there's crime increasing in every urban core in right. every city in downtown in every city in America 
but people don't think nationally like that. They just notice that crime's increasing in Indianapolis. Right. So they use that as a knock against Indianapolis. Right. Or there's the Carmel or Fishers, right? That, yeah, right. That debate, right? Yeah. I mean, we're all a team. Yeah. We're we're trying to pull employees to Central Indiana instead of having them move to the Research Triangle or having right. them move to somewhere in North Carolina or having them move to the Austin or Denver areas. And you can't be a suburb of nowhere. Correct. Or an edge city, which is a nicer way to say it. <laughs> you, you can't be a suburb of nowhere. I can't pull the nicest headquarter jobs if we don't have a big city amenities like Colts and the Pacers. Or the airport. Or the, or the airport, right? <laughs> right. And, and all the issues that come with having an airport. But similarly, it's tough to be just an urban city without having really nice suburbs because you want to offer people the choice yeah. work downtown, but some of your employees are going to want to live in a nice suburb or you can have employees in Carmel, but some of them are going to want to live right in the core of downtown. Mm-hmm. And so you got to, you got to compete as a team. That's right. And I think a lot of people don't think about it that way. You know, Carmel's a really nice suburb. Yeah. Edge city. There are places across the United States that do not have suburbs the way that Carmel does. And so people will literally make the decision to live in Carmel and then the, the Indy area is just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the more we think as a team, I think the more central Indiana benefits. That's right. And I mean, it's, it's kind of an asset to the metro region. And, you know, like your example, even if someone locates in the north side of Indianapolis, their headquarters Odds are there's going to be a good amount of people that live in Carmel, right? That pay taxes to you, that use all the great amenities. And some people live in Indianapolis and they'll do the same thing. And that's not a bad thing. That's still a really good thing. And and what, what, what do you think, you know, is a good way to, I know that there's been a lot of effort in the economic development community to set up regional partnerships, et cetera, to kind of foster collaboration. Where do you think, you know, cities and I, and I sometimes am reluctant to even call Carmel a suburb, even though it technically is because it's a city of a hundred thousand people. It's an right? edge city it's not, is probably a good way. Yeah. To edge it. city is a good way of putting it. I like that term because I felt like suburb was kind of taking it down a peg. If, right. if you know what I mean? Cause I think of bedroom communities, that's right. Just neighborhoods, you know, villages, just, just production homes. right? Like, Hey, it's just nice homes. That's it. We have a little downtown area where there's a yoga studio, a few nice restaurants, and then there's a grocery store. But that's it, right? That's what I think of when I think suburb, right? right. Carmel is not that by any stretch of the imagination. And so Edge City is going to be our new term on Urban Foundry. Got it. But how do we we collaborate better from an economic development standpoint and from a PR standpoint to just embrace the goodness around it? Because I believe activity breeds activity for everybody, right? At the end of the day, if Indianapolis gets a win, it's also a win for Carmel, Fishers, Zions, you know, you name, you know, Avon, et cetera. How do we, how do we get better at that? Well, I think, I think local leaders are trying and doing what they can. I mean, uh, the Indy partnership exists, which promotes not just Indianapolis, but it's surrounding communities, really the, the nine counties in the central Indiana region. We have a, you know, regional development authority called CERTA, central Indiana regional development authority that really works together. You know, mayor Brainerd, Carmel's part of that. Mayor Hogshead of Indianapolis, uh, Mayor Fadness, uh, Mayor Jensen—they all kind of—they all kind of take take the lead on 
working together as a group to see what can be done. And, and that's really a group that is working together to get some of that regional cities money that our governor right. puts out. That's right. We're a region and that's how we have to compete because that's how other places are competing. Right. That's true. That's true. And, the, the, and other, the other part of that is, you know, when you first build something, it's nice and shiny. And then 30 years later and 50 years later, it's not. And when, you know, when your production home neighborhood or your home, or your neighborhood first gets built, it's nice and shiny. But then a city that doesn't have the vision to continue investing in itself, what is it going to look like 50 years down the road when there, you've run out of land and it's just a bunch of neighborhoods and there's nothing that makes it a little more special than just that? I mean, families are great and you'll have nice public safety. But what is it that's going to kind of set it apart from every other suburb in America? So Carmel, and you've seen this in our other cities as well. Noblesville is doing this. Fishers is yeah. doing this. We're investing in our downtown cores to create kind of some identity. Yeah. Another thing I think that happens a lot is uh, it's tough to, in some in some smaller towns, to separate the culture and the identity of the town from the high school. Yeah. Like your town is the color of the high school. Then, right. That's a good point. Right. <laughs> and then kids grow up. And they leave and they don't come back because they're not, you know, like I used to hang out at Steak and Shake or Denny's because that was, Steak and was, shake was always, hours, yeah. Right? Steak and Shake was hot. I worked there in high school in <laughs> Northeast Ohio. They don't pay a lot. I got, a, I was, went to an old boys high school. I got a lot of dates through Steak and Shake. That was like my, my pickup spot. So what do you do to lure those people back to that place when their the identity and the culture of some of these places are not much beyond just that high, high school, school life? Yeah. Well, if you in the city of Carmel, our high school's amazing. It's getting old. It's TikTok views. Right? <laughs> right. um, it's viral. But, but you have people are creating memories of skating at the Chris Kindle Market with mm-hmm. the Palladium backdrop behind mm-hmm. them, and that is a is an identity, a civic identity, separate and apart from the high school, that makes Carmel really special. And then that's what makes people want to come back to Carmel. And I get it. Some of the some of our high school graduates are going to graduate. They're going to go to Denver. Austin or San Diego, and then it's going to time. To, it's going to be time for them to have their kids. Yeah, they'll come back because they'll have these memories. And it's not just I went to high school here. It's I remember hanging out in Midtown Plaza. I remember how easy it was to drive around here. I remember attending concerts at the Palladium or going to the Farmers Market with the Palladium and the you know Center for the Performing Arts and the Hotel Carmichael as the backdrop. So if we can continue using tax increment finance. By the way, all those things built with tax increment finance. Yeah, right, right. Because otherwise it would be, again, parking lots, strip center right. parking That's lots. right, yeah. Right. <laughs> They'd be talking about their their memories of Denny's, right? That's, that's, you know? right. that's right. <laughs> so if we can use TIFF as a as our really only economic development tool to build these great places, it's going to get people to want to come back and to live here and to raise their families here. Yeah. That's really true. I, I think, you know, I never had heard it put it in those terms, but the more you said that, because I, you know, grew up in a small like suburb of of Cleveland, where like I didn't go to the public high school. I went to an all boys school on the other side of town to play sports. But my brother went to the local high school because we had a choice, right? And my brother wanted to play football there, and he did very well. And it was interesting because it's really a town centered around that identity, mm-hmm. you know. And I think back to all those people I grew up with, et cetera, in our neighborhoods. And most of them are not there anymore, right? Because there was no additional identity beyond, you know, Brunswick Brunswick High f- football, right? Essentially, uh, and that's and, America. And I, yeah, that's, it's that's America. Entirety, right? Friday Night Lights. Yep. Yeah. Right? 
that's, that's what it is. And there's, there's some nostalgia to that, but then there's also the reality, like you said, when, when, when life starts knocking, when you can't live in uh, a, a three bedroom with four people in New York city anymore, because you want to have a family, you have these other aspirations. Well, you got to go pick somewhere to raise that family. That's a big decision. I feel very seen right now because that was literally my life. So I, I graduated from Purdue. I moved to Chicago, Seattle, and New York. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm 31. It's time to like yep. time to get do real. the life thing. So I moved back home, got married, started a family, and now I live in Carmel, yeah. <laughs> where I grew up. Right. So it's just, it's very circular. It is. And that's interesting. I'd be curious at some point, I don't know if you guys track the data on and I think maybe it's just starting to come into fruition where they're tracking back to say, okay, we went to Carmel High School 15, 20 years ago. Where did they end up? Right. Do they end up coming back? And there's a lot of people like yourself, Paige, that I talked to that, yeah, I grew up in Carmel and maybe they had a, a tryst around the, the country or the globe, mm-hmm. but then they ended up coming back. Mm-hmm which you don't hear a lot of people talk about their suburb in that way. Well, it's no, just a great place the edge to, city, like, excuse me. to grow up and raise a family. Well, and how, how do we pull headquarter jobs? Right. Like, right. Cause you need economic opportunities. You do. It ends up being, where does the CEO live? One, or <laughs> is this a, is this a company that there's a connection to Carmel? Maybe the, maybe a kid went to Carmel high school and then started a business in another state and you can lure that business mm-hmm. back to Carmel because you remember the city being an amazing place to live apart from just hang out at Denny's at, at nighttime. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. So, it's, it's settled. I'm not moving to Indianapolis. I'm staying no, in Carmel. You're not. You're giving up on your Marie and Kessler dreams. I don't know. We do yeah. have lower, for now. We do have lower taxes. For this episode, That's, at least. Oh, there you go. There's the <laughs> other plug. I knew Henry had another sales pitch up his sleeve. We do have lower taxes. <laughs> okay. One last question, Henry, sure. you know, amazing progress with Carmel. Obviously, you know, Mayor Brainerd is leaving. He's retiring, right? So there's going to be a new mayor. But what do you think the challenges are for someone like yourself, et cetera? After all this progress, what's what's the next? What are, what are the next big challenges? How do you continue to build upon this? You know, what what, what do you see see that going? Yeah, I... I I hope that the, the next mayor that we have continues the, the vision and the foundation that's been laid. You know, Mayor Brainerd did a good job of kind of outlining what the right approach is. And it's focus on walkability, focus on urbanism, focus on providing a great place to live, focus on architecture, focus on beauty. You know, we get a lot of heat for art in the roundabout. <laughs> we were <laughs> talking of, about it Lots earlier. of different art, yeah. right? Some of it is a bit abstract and looks like certain things. Some of it is beautiful. <laughs> but that's the point of art is that you get people to react. Um, we get a lot of heat from investing in these kind of public amenities. And you're always going to have a certain segment of people that say, the government should stay out. <laughs> right. Don't spend, don't spend my money on roundabout art. Again, that money comes from TIF, comes from our com- commercial tax base. It doesn't come from individual people's right. uh, home taxes. Well, there's there's literally, you know, museums across America where you pay a ticket to go to a sculpt pay for a ticket to go to a sculpture park to enjoy sculptures and it is ex, it's exclusive. You have to pay money Correct. to get in. And Mayor Brainerd has chosen to make the entirety of the city of Carmel an inclusive free open to the public sculpture park. Or there's a, a segment of people that say hey, the government should stay out of any kind of private development. 
and you should never be in the hotel business. Well, the mayor and the city council decided to invest in the Hotel Carmichael, which is an amazing boutique luxury hotel. That's one of the reasons our corporations want to be in Carmel because they can send their guests to this walkable place. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing, amazing Indiana's first Marriott autograph collection hotel. I mean, that was the right investment to make to grow the downtown. And so not being afraid of making these kind of investments, I think, is what's going to continue setting Carmel apart. And I... I hope the next mayor and the next city councils continue that. Yeah, that's true. It's a big challenge and, and we'll be watching for sure. Amazing. Is it going to be you? <laughs> no, I, not yet. I, I'm happy to serve at the pleasure of whatever mayor's. I'm like, is please next. announce that on Urban Laundry. That'd be great. He's just trying to get the exclusive scoop. All right. Two, two last questions. These are sure. not TIFF related. These are, these are things we ask all of our guests because we like to get to know them. And, and so these are, you can answer them any way you want. Okay. What what are you streaming right now? Netflix, Amazon, whatever you stream your okay. favorite shows on. What are you addicted to? It doesn't have to be work related. Yeah, The Last of Us is pretty great. All right, yep. there we go. Yeah, it, it made me download the video game, so I've been playing the video game. Oh, oh how's the video been, game? I, I know it had a video game. Is it good? Yeah, it's 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 a uh, the show is like almost a, a one for one adaptation. Of the really? Game, so. I kn- I didn't watch last night's episode, but. The one, I didn't either. Don't the talk one, about it. Did you watch okay. it? No, I didn't okay, either. Yet. But the one last week when they were like going through the tunnels, I was uh-huh. like, "This is so a video game." Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, so that that's that's been my my recent one. The only thing is though, so my wife, she's she's she was always even before COVID, had always had this thing for germology and like pandemics and researching pandemics, and it was this weird obsession that I always never thought anything of until COVID happened. And then, you know, it like mm-hmm. comes out of the closet. And so she's watching this show now and now she's following articles about fungus yes. and all this. And there just, was yeah. something that just came out that was like, there, it's not far off. And, and then I, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, to just for fun, I always kind of joke that my job is a combination of, uh, West Wing and Parks and Rec. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, a good that's a good analogy. Yeah. So sometimes I go back to those shows. West Wing's yeah. great. Yeah. West Wing's great. Parks and Rec's great. Other question: Tell me a book recently that's made a big impact on you. Um, the book I'm reading right now is called Audio Reading. We count audio. Yeah, reading. Yes, audio we audio count books. One hundred percent count. One hundred percent. Reading a book called Sapiens about. Uh, yeah, of course. I read human. that book. Okay, it's pretty great. It is. I'm it's learning. enlightening, isn't it? About human nature and yeah, and I'll just. The um, you know, I'm only five or six hours in. So the craziest, uh, can I just share the craziest yeah. things? So they they had this passage on uh, these things called green monkeys, and the scientists recorded um, like a green monkey call that said, uh, "Look out, there's an eagle," and then they play them for the monkeys, and the monkeys look up, and then they play a call that sounds almost exactly the same: "Look out, there's a lion," and they play it for the monkeys. And the monkeys run into the trees. So you know that monkeys, these green monkeys that have never met each other, all speak the same language. Yeah. And the craziest thing is they, now that they know that line, they saw a green monkey come up to another green monkey and say, that was holding a banana, and said, look out, there's a lion. So the second monkey dropped the banana and ran away. And the first monkey picked it up. So green monkeys lie to each other. <laughs> That's amazing. They have language and they lie. So we're not, us humans, not we're not the only liars. Yeah. <laughs> Monkeys lie to each other for benefit. <laughs> Manipulating I, I never each lie. other. I never lie. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> others do. Yeah. It, it, it is amazing. And I, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of great um, research on human behavior that has come out of like sapiens is a great example. 
you know, Daniel Kahneman and others, right. Who won a Nobel prize for economics, even though he's not an economist, it's just amazing to see some of that. I just love that because it, it, it's very enlightening and it opens, opens your, like you said, monkeys can lie. What does that tell you about humans? Right. Yeah. Like, cause we put ourselves on such a pedestal. We think we're so clever, but these monkeys been lying to each other this whole Conning time. each other out of bananas. bananas. Yeah. <laughs> that tells you a lot about human nature, yeah. I think. Well, Henry, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks Thank for you. coming on Urban Foundry. Did you have fun today? I did. This was great. Your first one. You you survived. We're going to have to have you back. I know. I, I'm was pretty great. sure you're going to become a I'm nostalgic on guest. Carmel now. I'm like pumped up. She's all misty eyed. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you to our Urban Foundry listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you soon. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.